Good morning. Uh, my name is Fletcher Abbott. I am the high school director here at Grace, uh, and I get to have the wonderful privilege of filling in for Pastor R this morning as we spend some time in God's Word continuing our study in the book of Romans. Uh, before we dive in, I would like for us to be able to take a moment just where we're seated uh, give you one a quick second just to be able to pray. Ask God to take this moment to remove any distractions that might be from our mind, that we would hear whatever it is that he has for each and every one of us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we each are coming here this morning. After a full week, life can get incredibly busy. It can become stressful. And so often, even the things that we delight in can become a distraction. So we ask that you would help us to take this time here this morning to press the pause button. Look into your word that we would hear with our eyes, with our ears, with our hearts, what it is that you have for us this morning, that it wouldn't simply become knowledge to be stored away, but would be a call to action. Call us up in your son's name. Amen. So about two weeks ago, uh, my wife and I got to go away for a couple of days for our 10-year anniversary. Uh, had a great time getting to celebrate. We actually went back to the area where we met. We, we've kind of walked around the school where her and I met. We spent time uh, talking to old teachers, to old friends, got to see some family. Uh, it was a great couple days just having a walk down memory lane. And what even put that feeling of walking down memory line into overdrive is there was one day we actually had to swing by my sister's house to pick up a bunch of stuff that we had stored in her basement. Uh, and as we are going through all these different treasures, uh, some expected, some unexpected, I came across my old high school yearbooks. What fun that was. Spent time just kind of looking through each page, seeing all the different notes that my classmates had written, spending time looking at pictures that just brought all these different memories flooding back to me, some wonderful, some painful. Memories of chemistry class that I took because my mom made me despite my begging. And the memories of my teacher, Mr. Tim, having pity on me and passing me in that class when I really had no reason to pass that class. Memories of high school plays, memories of when I had hair, Pictures of me shaving off that hair for the high school plays. All kinds of wonderful memories. Now, I don't know if this happens to you, but when I spend a little time going down memory lane, uh, it inevitably makes me think about where I'm at in the present. How, how my past has impacted who I am today, the decisions that I've made, the things that I'm passionate about, the things that I delight in the things that cause fear for me, the things I'm like, ooh, that's why I'm off in that area. 
And then from there, I end up thinking about, well, what does my past and my present have in terms of impacting my future? I start to think about the future of what, what my future could look like based off of what's happened to me before and what's happening to me right now. We've been spending uh, the last few weeks in, in a section of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, where Paul is doing that when it comes to dissecting Israel's spiritual condition. He spent time looking into their past, some of the promises that God has made to them, some of the poor decisions that Israel has made. He spent time talking about their present, how they're in a little bit of a, a mess right now. By and large, they've, they've been rejecting the gospel. There, there hasn't really been a whole lot happening there. And then in chapter 11, where we're going to be starting here this morning, he's going to unpack each of those two pieces a little bit again, talking a little bit about Israel's past, a little bit about Israel's present, but then talking about what that means for Israel's future. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to pick right up in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Paul has just spent a good deal of time talking about some of the troubles that Israel is currently in at this moment in terms of their relationship with God. And it, and it leads him to need to ask a very important question. Right here in the beginning of Romans 11, this is what Paul writes. He says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? With everything that's been going on for Israel, with all the poor decisions that Israel has been making, with this, what appears to be the spiritual deadness for, for this nation, God's chosen people, it, it leaves this question of, has God just said enough is enough? Time to move on? We're moving on to the Gentiles who are being so receptive of this gospel? Paul gives a very blunt response. May it never be. Let that be the furthest thing from your mind. That is impossible. Absolutely not. There is no way that God is rejecting his people. How can Paul say that? Well, he's going to give us a list of reasons. He's going to start with his, himself as an example. Paul says, I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul is making a point of saying, I am as Israelite as they come. <laughs> because not only am I a physical descendant of Abraham, it's not that this is something that I chose to be a part of, I was born into this, but also I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Why is that so important? Well, Benjamin, out of all the sons of Israel, was the only one to be born physically in the promised land. The, the territory of the tribe of Benjamin is where Jerusalem is, the, the capital of the city, the city where the kings sat on their thrones. And also, Benjamin was the only tribe when Israel went through a civil war, one of its darkest periods in its history. Benjamin was the only one that stayed side by side with the tribe of Judah to keep this, this line of the heritage of Israel going, of these faithful people that were desperately doing what they could to follow after good, God. Paul is saying, I am as Israelite as they come, and I am a follower of Christ. I have been 
part of his family. I am going into his kingdom. I am an ambassador for his kingdom. Paul is saying, just by me alone, you can't say that God has rejected all of Israel because I'm alive and kicking and I'm serving him. Thankfully, Paul doesn't stop there, though. He goes far beyond that. Paul starts to speak about this idea of a remnant. Now, we've seen this in Romans before, but Paul's going to spend some time unpacking this in greater detail, that there's hope found in a remnant. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. In other words, Israel as a nation, we're talking about not individuals, but as a nation overall, God chose Israel as his chosen people, and he has not forgotten them. Or do you not know, he writes, what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Paul is referring to a period in the life of Elijah, very famous prophet in Israel, who had just had the most incredible mountaintop experience of his life, where he literally called down fire from heaven in a competition with the prophets of a false god Baal, won the challenge outright, destroyed the prophets, and then he gets a message, a message from, from Queen Jezebel. And the queen says, Elijah, your days are numbered. I am going to track you down, and when I find you, that's it. You're done. It's over. And Elijah goes through a tailspin of this incredible discouragement and depression. He hightails it out of there and just says, God, I, I'm done. I, I'm done with this. I can't go on with this anymore. I'm the only one that's faithfully following after you. I'm the only one that is doing all I can to serve you with all that I have, with all that I am. No one else, no one else is with me on this, God. I'm alone. I wonder if you've ever felt that way before, where you feel like you are all on your own, standing against what seems like the entire world that is just going so contrary to what you believe, so contrary to everything that you are striving for, that you think, I don't have a single ally around me. You know, I think teens especially struggle with this. Right now, with where we are, there is an all-time high of depression and anxiety amongst teens. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think this is actually one of them where they are in their schools and they are thinking, I am the only one that believes this. I am the only one here. No one's here to stand by me. I remember my first job as a teenager. I was a go-kart operator, really fancy, right? And I quickly realized I was the only Christian in that area. And I cannot begin to tell you how quickly that felt incredibly lonely. It did not take long for everyone else to realize I was the only Christian that worked in the go-kart area. 
And it was a common idea of what can we do to get Fletcher to compromise his morals, to compromise his faith, to make these poor decisions, to go against what he believes in. It became kind of a game for a lot of my coworkers. That's what so many of our teens are going through right now. Where they're in the middle of this game of people saying, what can I do to get them to go off kilter? To forget about their faith for a moment. There are so many right now that feel like they are standing alone. Thankfully, that is not the case. Because verse 4, Paul continues on, he says, but what is the divine response to him? Elijah wasn't asking a question, but in his plea, in his cry, there was a question being asked there. And this is what God says. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed down to the knee of Baal. God's response to Elijah is, Elijah, I'm not done yet. I am still at work. I am still accomplishing something. I am still doing something so grand. Even though your perspective, what you can see is really limited right now, there is so much more going on here. Hang in there with me. In fact, if you were to read through the rest of that story, God actually says, not only have I saved, kept a remnant of 7,000, I have a job for you, Elijah. I'm still at work so I have work for you to do too. God said, I, I have saved a remnant for myself because there is a purpose for them. They have work to do. There is something that I have for them to accomplish. I'm on mission, and those that I call to me are meant to come on mission with me. And this is all accomplished through God's grace. Because Paul says in verse 5, in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Paul says, there is still even now a remnant. There are still those of Israel that are following after God. Even though it may not feel like it right now, even though when I look around, Paul says, when I look around and I might be wondering, am I the only one around me that actually gets it? I need to remember that there is something bigger that God is doing. He is still saving his people. And it isn't because of something special they do. It isn't because they follow the rules better than everyone else. It isn't because there's something unique about them. It is entirely and completely because of God's grace. Because he goes after them. They are his people. It is a remnant that he has saved. Their salvation and dedication to God were possible because of God's incredible grace. And he has set them aside for a specific purpose but there's still the present problem Israel still has a present problem verse 7 what then what is Israel seeking it is not obtained but those who were chosen obtained it and the rest were hardened Paul says, Israel as a nation has been seeking something desperately, diligently, with passion. It's been seeking righteousness. The problem is, 
as Paul's unpacked so much throughout Romans, and as he again is reminding us here, many have looked for that in the wrong place. There has been a chosen, there has been a remnant as things currently stand that God has protected, that God has kept safe, that God has called to himself. But many, in fact, you could say the nation in general of Israel has been hardened. That has to be discouraging. For someone like Paul, for those in the church in Romans, especially those who are Israelites, who are now part of the church, that has to sound discouraging. I can't see how, how it wouldn't be able to. But, but Paul wants to make sure that they understand how this could possibly happen. Verses 8 and 9, just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. We've seen this already as we've been going through Romans, but Paul brings it up again. There are many that look for all different kinds of ways for salvation, for safety, for comfort. For many, it's your background. Are you following the right rules? Have, have you matched up exactly the way that you need to? Earn it. That's all that's required. That's what's happened for the nation of Israel. And Paul says, it's become a stumbling block. It's led to a problem. Now, the reality is, we, we all fall into this problem. We all have a tendency at times to look for hope, to look for help, to look for salvation in things that aren't Christ. And every time we do that, the only thing that is capable of happening is, is destruction, is emptiness. It can never provide for us what we need. Salvation apart from Christ is completely impossible. There's no way around it. God's grace is in absolute necessity for us. And right now, in Israel's present situation, they're missing it. And that's terrifying. We all know people like that. People who have missed it. And maybe gone so far off the rails that we have to wonder, is there any hope left? Is there a chance of anything happening? Can God still work in this situation? Or is this just completely impossible? Is this completely out of God's hands? Funny we should ask that. Because Paul brought that up too. Verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? In other words, Paul's saying, 
This stumbling that's come upon them, this stumbling block that they have of looking for their hope and their salvation in all the wrong places, is this determined to lead Israel as a nation to destruction? Are they out of God's favor forever? Is there no hope at any point in the future for Israel? Is this where it all ends? Is this where it stops? Are they as a nation to be cut off from God forever? Will this hardened heart of an entire nation end this way in such a sorry state? May it never be. Paul says, may it never be. Once again, absolutely not. Get the thought out of your head. That is impossible. Instead, there's a divine plan at play here. He goes on to say, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now we hear that we're jealous and we usually think of that in a negative way. Now you're telling your kid, you don't be so jealous at your brother or sister, it's gonna lead you to a very poor decision. Paul means this very positively. Because here's what would often happen. When Paul would go into a town and he would share the gospel, he would start by going to the synagogue. He would share the gospel there. And more often than not, what would happen is the people in the synagogue would drive him away, say, we don't want to have anything to do with this. Many times, it led to violence against Paul. So from there, Paul would go on to the Gentiles, those that were the worst of the worst, the pagans, the lost causes, And they recognized grace. The need for grace. The desire to want to have that grace. They hungered for God's grace. But Paul says there's, there's a plan at play here where what's supposed to happen when all said and done is that as these Gentiles become followers of Christ and these Jews see this amazing favor that God has on them, this wonderful blessing, this grace that God has shown to them, that then they look and they say, I want that. I'm hungry for that very thing. It's what I need. Now, verse 12, he says, Now, if their transgression is riches for the world, in other words, if Israel's objection, rejection of God's offer of salvation means blessing for the rest of the world because it spreads to the Gentiles, if it means riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Did you catch it? Paul's saying, when Israel as a nation is no longer hardened, when they turn back to God, how much even better do you think that's going to be for the rest of the world? Not if Israel turns. Not if Israel gets called back. But when. You see, there's this phrase that's been on my mind a lot lately. It's the phrase, the story isn't over. Paul is saying the story for Israel is not over. Don't count them out yet. There's more to this. 
In fact, you might even hear that phrase next week, just saying. The story isn't over yet. The circumstances might look bleak. We might wonder, how could God make something great out of this? How could this mess possibly be fixed? But the story isn't over. And we get to talk more about that story next week. But for now, I want us to pause and ask ourselves, with what we've covered in these verses, what does this actually mean for us? What does this mean for you and I? As I've thought through this, there's a couple of thoughts that have come to my mind. One is, it's important for us to recognize we're not alone. There will be moments where we're going to feel like Elijah, where we're going to feel like we are the only ones standing for what we believe, the only one in our workplace, the only one in our family, the only one in our group of friends, where we are going to be surrounded by a world that by and large just does not seem interested in what we have to say, does not care about what it is that we believe. In fact, so much so that many might even try and cause difficulty for us. But we need to remember, God is always faithfully preserving his own. God never lets the spots on the team stay vacant. He always has people ready to jump in because he's on mission and he is going to make sure he has in place what he needs to accomplish it. He will always have his remnant, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard things might seem. Another thing is, we are called to a purpose. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a disciple, you are called to a purpose. God did not simply save us for us to sit back and watch the show. He doesn't need people to sit back and watch the show. He called us to be on mission with him. He has a plan in place. He's at work, and he has a job for each and every one of us to accomplish. Let me speak plainly. We here at Grace, we need you. Not just simply want you. We need you. And here's why. It's not just simply that we think if you not being here that you're missing out, which there's a piece of that. You know, we, we take pride in what we do. We think we're doing good stuff here, and we don't want any of you to miss out. But the more important reality is when you're not here, we miss out. Because it takes all of us to accomplish the mission that we're on. A mission of telling the world that we have been bought by God's grace. We have been bought with a price. My heart was once hardened too, but God changed it. And there's a lot of ways that we are able to help accomplish that. I get to serve on so many wonderful, amazing teams. Within the youth ministry, we have some fantastic adult youth staff that help serve our students, that help serve your teens. 
we could not do what we do if it was not for them. Amazing. We have a fantastic care deacon team that supports the body, those in need, that spends time in prayer, that spends time supporting and encouraging those in our body who are struggling. We have an amazing team in the Greenhouse Children's Ministry. There are so many people needed to to make things happen on Sunday morning, more than you could possibly imagine. Sharon has a phenomenal team of people all across the board, not just the people you see up here on stage, but people behind the scenes, people on sound, people on presentation, people that you don't even ever maybe see here on a Sunday morning doing what they do, but do some fantastic things to make things happen. But the reality is, we need all of you. Maybe it's time to get on the playing field. Maybe it's time to go beyond showing up here at 8.50, 8.55. Or if we're being honest, and I let myself in this in times two, 9.10, 9.15, okay, Let's maybe be be real there a little bit and maybe shake a couple hands when you enter or when you leave. Maybe it's time to go beyond that and ask, where can I serve? Where's a need that needs to be filled? What's my part to play? And we have a lot of opportunities, a lot of opportunities If you want to know, feel free to come ask me, any of the staff. We will tell you the opportunities that there can be for you. We need all of you. We need those who are early, young, and early stages of life, young adults. We need parents. We need grandparents. We need those who are retired. My mom just retired. All right, that doesn't mean that she's done with everything. She still is active in her community, active in her in in her faith-believing community. We need all of you. Because when you're not here, we miss out. We're recipients of God's grace. Let's not forget that. God did not save us because of something wonderful we did. Not because there's something very right with us, but because there was something very wrong with us. We all start hardened. God does the work of changing the heart. But we were saved by grace to accomplish what God called us to do. Because you see, there's a bigger picture here that goes beyond simply our circumstances. God's not done yet. No matter what may be happening around you, no matter what you may think, you might be sitting there and thinking, grace, awesome. Might work for other people, but I think I'm too far gone. You're not. Paul could have said the same thing about himself before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. A man who actively went against God's will, who tried to imprison, hurt, and sometimes kill other believers. His heart wasn't too hardened. That loved one that you know, that you might be thinking, I don't know if God can do anything else. They're too hardened. It's over. They're too far gone. Do they still have breath? Then God's still at work. 
the story isn't over yet. God is not asleep. He is alive and at work. He's on a mission, and he has called his church to play a part in it. He is calling out with a message. My grace is sufficient. Things may seem bleak now. Our numbers may be small, but the story, it's not over yet. As long as we are on this earth, we have the opportunity to receive that grace and speak a message of repentance. A message that tells even the most resistant of people that there is grace for the broken and hardened. A message that reminds the world that the story isn't over yet because God is still at work. I am ready to do that work with you. Let's pray. Father, it never seems like there is enough time to unpack who you are and what you've done. Never enough time to be able to properly unpack your grace, your mercy, your grand plan. Father, there is so much that we don't know about what the future has in store. But what we can remain confident on is that your promises will not fail. That you are alive and at work. And what's more, we get to be a part of the work that you're doing. So God, we thank you. We thank you that you invite us to be a part of this. That we still get to not only see what you're doing, but actively engage in that process. So would you bless us this week? Not simply just because we want blessing, but because we want to be able to be used as a blessing towards others. To be a part of the solution. To be a part of the team. So as we finish out this time in worship, would it be a sweet sound to your ear as we do it together? Amen. What a fun morning. <laughs> I love doing this with you all. I love getting to serve with my friends, by the way. You know, a lot of these people here on the stage, I, I, I would hope all I consider my friends. As a staff, I consider all the staff my friends. We love doing this together. And, and we would love nothing more than to do all of this with you. <laughs> we get to be a part of this together. One of the ways we get to do that, have you ever finished out a Sunday morning and thought, man, I just wish we could keep singing. I wish we could keep going. All the time. Right? All the time, Every Karen, week. right? Yeah. Guess what? You Today, can. you can. Yes. Come back at 6 o'clock and worship with us some more. We would love to see every single face here again tonight. And there's ice cream. And there's ice cream. Let's be real, that's why I'm going. I mean, <laughs> but I love serving here at Grace because I love working with people who realize that the story's not over, that God's still at work. He's still at work in you. He's still at work in the lives of the people around you. 
So I don't know what the next seven days will bring. Hopefully, it brings you all back here again tonight. But what I do know is in this seven days, God is 100% at work. And you get to be a part of it. So until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you strength and courage and peace. Go in peace.